I really feel like we're supposed to talk about hope for the nations. And this is, um, this, you know, what I'm, what I'm going to share is just pieces of what I've shared many times, and we just kind of mix it back up and say it again. And, but uh, I, I really believe that God's called us to mold culture. And um, Bill was talking about culture a, a few minutes ago, and um, uh, a friend of mine mailed me, uh, emailed me this quote about three years ago. She said, he who gives the most hope has the most influence. He that gives the most hope has the most influence. And we were, you know, we have the opportunity and the privilege to travel maybe to some of your churches, but we travel all around the world, our teams, and we, we get to see, um, you know, we get to see the world in, um, in, in not, you know, not from a distance. We get to see the world up close and we get to experience different cultures and different churches and I, I love diversity a lot. I, I love that God didn't make flowers like even even like all purple, even though I like purple. And it's like it's awesome that he he created diversity. And I, I, I hate genetic cloning like it began with religion. You know, I, I I like the fact that God made things different and that and that, you know, I like that churches sometimes churches, you know, when we go to churches or we do leader stuff. They're like, how can we come like, become like Bethel? I'm like, oh, don't, please don't do that. Like one of us is enough, really. We need you to be yourself. We need you to be original. We need you to be an original and whatever that looks like, it's exciting. But I also noticed that as we travel, we, we, we hear lots of stories and we talk to lots of leaders that it's, you know, in the, the, the recession, uh, a lot, a lot of ministries are, are really hurting, and there are lots of different reasons. and And I, I don't want to be critical of any of, of them. And um, you know, we're we're friends with so many ministries, and uh, even we're friends with many ministries that are really in trouble financially and in different ways. And we 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 pray for them. And of course, we've had our share of troubles. <laughs> we've had more than our share of troubles, actually. So. Actually, the more I think about it, I might change this to depressed for the nations. <laughs> so I won't be thinking about those troubles we've had. But, um, but I noticed that, that people are hungry for hope, is what I'm trying to say. I noticed that, that ministries that, that produce hope, and I mean, um, I mean from the heart, that those ministries are having more and more influence. And that the the more the the darker the times, the more influence we have. And and so um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about understanding how to mold culture and how to create supernatural ecosystems. And I um, I was thinking about you know I was uh, in a particular country. This is a, a couple years ago, and I was meeting with some business people that I had never met before and. Uh, a friend of mine said, I, I'd like you to meet these, these businessmen. They're um, multimillionaires, and there was a couple of billionaires, and I, I think there may have been, I don't, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them, and we had, with their, with their wives, and we had dinner at this very nice restaurant. Um, it was, a, uh, like, you know, just to give you an idea, dinner was $300 a piece. The most expensive meal I ever ate in my life. Well, I'm like, you know, Kathy was like, yeah, we should, uh, I'm like, no, no, just eat. And enjoy. <laughs> do not feel guilty. Don't if you feel guilty, don't act like you do with these people, please. <laughs> act like we do this all the time, you know. 
<laughs> and so anyway, they um, I got into that uh, into with those businessmen that uh, most of them were not Christians um, because my friend told them I was a futurist and that I knew the future. And would they like to <laughs> talk to a futurist? And so they're like, yeah, we'd like to meet with futurists. So my friend had to explain to him what a futurist was that. And I don't really know what it was because we just made up the term. <laughs> Actually, it made up the term a few, a uh, couple of meetings before that one. Like, so what do you want me to say to them? I said, I don't know. I said, should I tell them that you're like prophetic? I'm like, hmm, I don't know if they're going to like that. I said, why don't you just tell them I'm a futurist? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> What's your futurist? Don't explain it. Just tell them, would you like to meet with a futurist? So. So we're sitting at this very nice restaurant, six-star restaurant. I didn't know there was anything beyond it. Like, I thought, you know, that was close to Motel 6. But <laughs> they, we ate meat that they rub the meat, like, no, not the meat, the animal, like, every day before they you eat it. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't talk like that, huh? They, and we, I, they served us vegetables, too. I didn't eat them, but I would eat vegetables when you can eat meat. That's just dumb. So anyway, we're, we're at this meeting and we're, you know, so it's, they start out and there's, there's one guy there that's kind of the head business guy. Not, I mean, they all know him. He's kind of the F. Hutton of, of those guys. And, and again, I don't know any of them. And it's my friends with me and he's kind of leading the dinner. We're having dinner and this kind of long table and, and we're and, and we're talking and they've kind of set the format like they're going to share with us about their uh, economy and about what they're doing. And they want me to speak into it. I'm like, OK, so they're sharing. And for an hour, an hour, they talk. And as they're talking, they're telling me, like, how bad the recession is and how they're losing their businesses. And they're going on and on about how terrible things are. And like, I'm getting really discouraged. I'm like, well, at least the last meal we eat is 300 bucks before we die. I'm thinking. And so um, anyway, the connotation is they want to know how bad this is going to get, you know, and they're, they're kind of and, and, and I feel like by the time it gets my it's my turn to, to talk, I'm like, well, and they've, they've all kind of shared their struggles. And and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, um, I don't really think they're going to like what I have to say, actually. So I thought, well, at least we should eat before I talk. <laughs> so when they get done sharing, which was, you know, a long part of the evening, um, you know, the, the man who was kind of moderating said, and so, you know, you're, you're, we've told you're a futurist and, and what do you think about this? And how, you know, basically like how bad are things going to get? And I started sharing with them that I believed in a kingdom that was unshakable and that, um, I believed in a kingdom that didn't have lack and that there was more than enough in the kingdom that I lived in and that I had access to that wealth whenever I wanted that wealth and that there wasn't a recession in the kingdom that I'm actually uh, an ambassador of. <laughs> began to, 
It took him about 15 minutes to get an idea of which kingdom I was talking about. And, and I began to just prophesy to them. I didn't, of course, say I'm prophesying to you. And I didn't, you know, shake or yell or quote scriptures or anything like that. But I just began to go around the room and tell them that I believe that, um, that I, and by this time I said, God, I said, I, I believe that you're gathered here today, that, that you would be a, part, a catalyst to a revolution in the area of economy. And I started to talk to them about the reason why they started their businesses and the hope that, that was given to them and, you, you know, and the, the excitement that they had years ago as they began to build their business. And all the people who said they couldn't do it and you were, you're not going to make it, you know, every time you do anything, you have all the people coming around you telling you why you're going to die and why your business isn't going to make it and so on and so forth. And I, I knew that they had that going on. And, and I just began to remind them that these, that they, that they were, um, they came into business not to lose, but to win. And, uh, they didn't come here to be influenced by the naysayers or the doubters, but they came here with faith, believing that they were going to prosper and that they were going to make a difference. And within about, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, the first 15 minutes was like talking to, I don't know, worse than a wall. They were looking at me like they were angry with me. And, and, and as, 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 uh, as time went on, they began to, I could see what, I could see them begin to come alive. I could see them to be, begin to dream. And I told them that, you know, that a recession is just a bad idea. It's a whole bunch of people that got together and decided that the economy was bad and people believe them and they're creating their own prophecies. And anyway, by the time we left there, it was, it was pretty amazing. I, I, I mean, no one received Jesus or anything there, but they did receive hope and faith. And they left there with hope and faith. And my friend, who's a pastor, on the way out, he turned to me and he's kind of like, well, that wasn't going so good at first. I'm like, yeah. He said, but the, and he knew all those people. And he said, they, every one of those people left encouraged like they left with courage. And um, and so I, I think that. I think that it's important for us to, um, to realize that we, in, we tend to interpret the world and the Bible through our own lens. I, I, you know, just as an example, the other day, I like to mess with people on Facebook. If you've never been on my Facebook page, you probably don't know that. But I, I get a lot of comments. Not everyone likes me. In fact, it's pretty it's even. <laughs> But I posted this uh, verse, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in her heart, in, 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 uh, in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, and throw it away from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than to have your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it away from you. For it's better for you to lose... One of your parts of the body, then, for you, for your body to be thrown into hell. Then I put this on the Facebook. If you had a problem with porn and the counselor read this verse to you and then took out a knife for you to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, would that be sound advice? And then would you send your son or daughter to them for counsel? And I got 147 comments. No idea why. I only had one person 
tell me that he believes that if you have a problem with porn, you should cut your arm off or gouge out your eye. The rest of them all had some way that they redefined what Jesus said, which, um, follow my thinking for a minute, what I'm getting at is that Jesus made a, a literal a statement and 147, 146 people determined that cutting off your, your arm or gouging out your eye was probably not going to solve the problem, that there was something else Jesus was saying in the midst of those words. And what I'm getting at is that, and it was interesting, different people saw it different ways, and I, um, there was probably 30 or 40 different ways that people interpreted those verses, but all of them, except for one guy, and he had written me earlier when I asked should, uh, was Paul literally saying that a woman should not speak in church in 1 Corinthians 14? And he wrote and said, women shouldn't speak in church and people should become slaves. So I decided that I wouldn't listen to his counsel. <laughs> Martin Luther King wouldn't have liked that guy. Um, but my point is, is, that, is that we read the Bible through a lens, through our core value. And we, we read, you know, people who say, I, I believe the Bible, I take it literally. I'm like, do you really? Do you really take the Bible literally? literally? And, and what I'm getting at is not um, so much um, the, you know, fighting for a literal, literal translation of the Bible or anything like that. My point is, is that you view the Bible through your core lens and your relationship with God. Like your relationship with God tells you how to interpret the Bible. And so when you read a verse that says, hey, if you have a problem with lust, gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. You know, if you sent your son to a counselor and he's 16 and he's struggling with uh, lust or porn or whatever, and he came back with, without one eye and his hand cut off, I don't know that you would be very excited. You might call the police. And, 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 he would, and he would say, oh, I thought I sent you to a Christian counselor. And he said, well, he quoted this verse before he cut my hand off. <laughs> what I'm getting at is that we, we do view the Bible through our relationship with God. And we do view the world through our relationship with God. Our relationship with God, our relationship, our experiences, they define the world for us. They tell us what to think about certain circumstances, and they do define how we view Scripture. Are you following me? And so you can put your dark glasses on and read the Bible, and, and you can come up with one, um, you, you know, one way of, of viewing the Scripture, or you can put on your hope glasses and you can read the Bible, and you'll see some of the same verses completely differently. And, um, and I think that um, we um, owe the world an encounter with God, and I think that there are elements that are necessary to destroy the destructive ecosystems of, um, of, of, um, of a bad culture. And I, I want to just tell you about four things we, we, that we're supposed to do. One, we must, must believe that there's supposed to be a future and hope. If we're going to transform culture, if we're going to transform culture, we have to actually believe there's going to be a future and a hope. This is pretty simple, really. It's kind of hard to bring hope to people and say, you know, if the doctor says to you, listen, you have a week to live, it doesn't matter what he says after that. It's not going to be very hopeful. So the idea that your life is going on is is actually part of having hope. This isn't deep. (laughs) Number two, if we're going to transform culture, then we must believe that nothing is impossible with God. Number three, if we're going to transform culture, we must believe that God has given us the key to the future through the supernatural power of God. 
Not only is nothing impossible with God, but God has actually given me the keys to transform culture. So not only it's not like, well, God can do anything. Yes, he can do anything. And he typically likes to do it through us. And, and the last one is, is that the redemptive nature of God. Uh, let's see. It, the redemptive nature of God rescues the world from its own devices and saves the world from the fruit of sin, which is death. Here's what I'm getting at is that. God actually, you, how, many, how many of you know that you tend to s- reap what you sow? So what you plant, you tend, to, you tend to eat, right? But the redemptive process of God is that he actually wants to get in between sowing and reaping. Like he actually, in other words, you, you sowed sin, but he wants to give you grace. He wants to not have you reap what you sowed. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of you understand that one of the goals was that you, even though you deserve death, you would get life. That you would actually, you would actually not receive what you deserve. You would receive what he deserves. And so, that didn't go over too good. So, the, to, to me, these are the essential dynamics to transforming culture. Like, so, the first one is this. That there's a future and a hope. And in Jeremiah 29.10, you, you know the story, but Jeremiah is speaking to people who I think they're about 30 years into a 70-year captivity in Babylon. The Israelites are in captivity in Babylon. And in the midst of those 70 years, Jer- and they're there because they've sinned against God. I think Bill may have shared some of this this morning. And in the midst of, the, of those 70 years, Jeremiah prophesies to the people, verse 11, which is one of the most popular verses in the Bible, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, plans to give you a future and a hope. So in the midst of a dark time, Jeremiah prophesies to people in the Old Covenant, and he says, listen, God doesn't have a plan for calamity for you, but a plan for a future and a hope. And so, and my point is, is this, is that in, if, if we're going to transform, transform culture, we have to believe that there's actually a future. If we take away the future, it doesn't matter how bright the president is, president, president, we should pray for the president, <laughs> whoever he, he will be. It doesn't matter how bright the president, the president is, present, present. The right now is so much for my polished prayer, I afraid it wasn't a word of knowledge. It doesn't matter how hopeful right now is if tomorrow we know is is going to be over. And so I think it's important for us to to realize that if we're going to transform a culture, there actually has to be hope for a future. There has to actually be hope that something that, that, that God is at work in our, in our future, in, in the future of our world. I was in a class some time ago. I didn't want to tell you, give you too much information. But we were in breakout sessions, and one of the breakout sessions was called Creation Care. It was an ecology, a uh, class on ecology. It was a bunch of Christian leaders who got together, and they broke up in different, um, in different breakout sessions. And there was a, uh, about 70 of us in each class. And so I'm sitting in the class, and I, I decided to take this this breakout session on ecology because I actually never heard anything about it. And there was a scientist speaking in there and I thought that would be very interesting. And so um, a scientist took about 15 minutes and 
and shared about ecology, and then different people came up and spoke. And, and they were talking about the fact that New Age people are at the head of what they call the Green Movement, or what we call, Christians call creation care, they would call it the uh, ecological, you know, ecology movement. And so they were giving, dis- different people were actually talking about how the New Agers were at the forefront of this movement and how God, um, Genesis 1, you know, the very first promise or the very first command God gave to man was to be fruitful and multiply. And the second command was and to take dominion over the earth and, and take, you know, take dominion over the creatures. And, and, and then he gave Adam the responsibility of cultivating the earth. And so they were using those scriptures and saying, you know, we are the ones, we Christians are the ones who should be at the forefront of taking care of the planet. And I was listening to this session for about, this is about a two hour session. And, um, and different people were talking about why they didn't think we were in the, we the Christians as Christians were in the forefront of that. And I'm sitting there listening and I'm like, hey, I, I have an idea because you could respond at different times. And I said, I think our eschatology is killing our ecology. <laughs> It didn't go over too well there at all. And so, you know, somebody said, one of the, the monitors, moderators said, um, wh- what do you mean by that? I said, well, if you think everything's like supposed to burn up and go to hell, I don't know why you're taking care of it. <laughs> See, what you believe about the end has everything to do with how you behave in the middle. <laughs> so, you know, and that, that didn't go well there because... They had a totally different idea about that. But, you know, it'd be it's a bummer for the meat to inherit an earth that's going to be destroyed. <laughs> Listen, I want you to be meek so you can inherit the earth. <laughs> You'll be the only one on the hot rock floating through space. <laughs> I wish I wouldn't have been meek. <laughs> and so it's important that we... That we actually believe there's a future and that there's a hope. And um, I could spend the whole night just on this one part. But Isaiah 60, which is the favorite verse of ours, says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Uh, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the interesting part, of course, is where, when. And it's, uh, behold, deep darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness, the people, but the Lord arise upon you. And um, you, I, I hear people quote this verse as if, the deep darkness is the is the um, the fruit of people arising and not the season in which they arise. When you arise and shine, it's not supposed to stay dark. <laughs> Contrary to popular opinion, like the idea of arise and shine is that the darkness would be dispelled. <laughs> and that's why kings come to the brightness of your rising and so on and so forth. So. Uh, you know, the, the, behold, deep darkness covers the earth. Like, that's not the last chapter of the book. It's not the last verse of Isaiah 60. It's the condition in which people rise in, not the condition after they have risen, not after they arose, after they rise, after they... Oh, this is why I do not listen to my own messages. I do read my own books because I have editors. <laughs> Fix this stuff. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Now it will come about in the last days. Everybody say in the last days. 
that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations, all the nations, everybody say all the nations, will stream to it. And many people will say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us concerning his ways. And we will walk in his path, for the instruction will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations. He will render decisions between many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their, pruning, uh, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. That's amazing. The millennium. It's going to be beautiful. That's right. There'll be no more crying. <laughs> he sees, Isaiah sees this time called the last days. When this mountain will rise above all the other mountains, it will become chief of the mountains and people will stream to it. And the result of that is world peace. I, I know, when your eschatology is like, you know, um, uh, you know, wars and rumors of wars and the other side of your eschatology is when they say peace and safety disaster will come upon you you know when that's when that's your those are your two eschatological walls you're pretty well damned to hell <laughs> you pretty well have no hope like if it's going well you're like you know it's going well now but they say peace and safety then everything's going to be like bad and, and when there's wars, wars and rumors and wars, you're like, yep, it's a sign of the times. If those are the only way that, if, that's, are those, if those are the glasses you have on when you read the Bible, it's pretty hard to have hope for the nations. If, those, if that's the way you read the scripture, you read a scripture like this that says that nations are going to, you know, that, that, the nation, that the mountain of the house of the Lord is going to rise above all the other mountains. People are going to stream to it and, and the outcome is peace in the nations. No longer will there be war. And you read that and you're like, well, that, that has to be in some time zone that I'm not responsible for. You understand, you put on those glasses. Because he said in the last days, and Peter said in Acts 2.17, uh, he's quoting Joel, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, all mankind. How many of you understand that you live in the last days? Like you don't live in the last day, but you do live in the last days. Like the last day is, is, is great and terrible. It's a day of judgment. But you live in the last days. And this is supposed to happen in the last days. And all I'm trying to say is this. is However you view the Bible, you do determine. You are reading it with a, a set of lenses on. Like I was sharing with you about the, Jesus talking about a man cutting off his hand or, or gouging out his eye. And, you know, 147 comments, 146 said, I don't think he actually meant cut your hand off or gouge your eye out. Well, that's what he said. And so we read the Bible with, we read our relationship with God into the Bible. And for people who, are, who feel hopeless, they read those verses and they're like, those, that's for another time. That's for another season. It's not for now. And I'm like, what, what if it is? What, what, if, what if God actually wants you to have faith for your city and your nation? What if, you, what if you're the catalyst to cultural transformation? What does it take for you to be a Daniel in the courts of, of Nebuchadnezzar, in a, in a nation that's dedicated, is dedicated to, to uh, other gods and has, 
and has a king who, who serves other gods and sets up statues to himself and kills people who, who won't bow down to a statue. How do, you, how do you have hope in a nation like that? How do you have hope for, for that God's going to do anything when you're a POW in a, in a Babylonian nation and the, the king you're serving is probably the one who wiped out your, your family, at least wiped out your nation? How do you stay hopeful? How do you... How do you decide, I'm going to be a catalyst to change? Like, here I am. I'm a POW, but I'm about to change this nation. And, you know, and you, and you build a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, and you finally, you know, convince him that you know God, and he dies, and his son becomes king, and then he dies, and the Persians take over, and, and you, you end up with four kings that you have to deal with, and three of those kings love you. One throws you in the lion's den and waits all night to see how you're doing. I'm just saying, what does it take? Do you, do you understand that the, the average Christian mindset is not going to change Babylon? And he's not going to be a Daniel in Babylon. He's going to be depressed in Babylon. But there's a guy who prayed three times a day. And wouldn't eat the king's food, who in the midst of the darkest season of his life, stayed hopeful and alive because he believed there's going to be a future and there's going to be a hope. And when he was in Babylon, he re- reviewed the words of Jeremiah who prophesied that they would be in bondage for 70 years, but on the 70th year, they would be released. And Daniel was there when, in, in the 70th year when they were released because he was looking to the future with hope. He was hopeful. Are you, are you with me at all? And so I, I believe that we have to cultivate hope. Like, you know, if you're getting... Your prophetic words from CNN. You're talking yourself to death. And you're not, you're not, and if you're putting your hope in, like, who becomes president? I, and I, I'm voting. I think it's very important. I want to be careful. But my hope isn't in the political system. My hope is in the kingdom. And by the way, you should vote. So I, I'm not saying don't vote. I, I'm simply saying that you have as much influence over the world as the president does. Well, no, I don't. Yes, you do. You're a son or a daughter of the king. You're an ambassador of another kingdom. You didn't come up. You, didn't, you weren't born to take up room and suck up air. You were born to make a difference. Well, I don't know if I can make a difference. No, you can. The difference between you making a difference and you not making a difference is you being hope-filled and faith-filled or being discouraged. That's the difference. Listen, you know, people, you know, I grew up on welfare, so you have to understand, I'm not, I'm not opposed to welfare. We should take care of the poor. So I always have to say this kind of stuff when we're talking to an audience that's being streamed. But, but there are people like, I can't find a job, I can't do this, I can't do that. And, and somebody from another country comes here on the green card, they can't even speak English, they have no trade, and they create a business, and become multimillionaires, and you hear it over and over again. What do they have that you don't have? They have a hope, they have a vision, they're really willing to work hard, they're... they're <laughs> I'm just trying to say, like, you can be, you can do whatever you want to do because God is with you. And with God, nothing's impossible. Daniel prophesied a time 
In fact, we'll just read it in verse 9 of chapter 7. He said, he sees this vision. I kept, oh, I got to tell you this part before that. You know, in Isaiah chapter 2, we just read, it says the mountain of the house of the Lord will become chief of the mountains. Remember this? It raised above the hills. People will stream to it. That's the vision Isaiah saw, right? Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in the dream, he saw the statue. Remember the, the head of gold and so on and so forth? And Daniel is interpreting the dream for the king and telling the king what he saw. And at the, end of the, at, the, at the end of the dream, or at the last part of the dream, the last segment of the dream, a stone comes and rolls over the statue and becomes a great nation. Did you remember the dream? And Daniel says this, Inasmuch as you saw that a great stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and then it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. I'm sorry I missed the rest of it. But he, it goes on to say that this, that this stone that's cut out of this mountain becomes, it, it, become, it, it grows into a mountain and it covers the earth. And then Daniel chapter 7, he says he had this other vision. He said, I kept looking, this is verse 9, I kept looking until the thrones were set up. The Ancient of Days took a seat. His vesture was like white snow. The hair of his head was like wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. And thousands upon thousands were attending him. Mirrors upon mirrors were standing before him. The court sat for judgment. The books were open. I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was given to the burning fire. I missed the whole verse someplace. (laughs) It's right here. Verse 13. Oh, I'm not there yet. I kept looking at the... (laughs) I don't know why. I'm just like trying to use technology, but it's not working for me. I think I'm old, too old school. Verse 13, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days and presented before him. And to him was given dominion. Everybody say dominion. Amen. Glory. Everybody say glory. glory. And a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. Amen. That all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed in me and my visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached the one who was standing by me and I asked him, what does this mean? And he told me and made known to me interpretation of these things. Verse 17, the the great beasts, which we didn't read about earlier, the first part of the vision, which are four number are four kings who will arise from the earth. Verse 18, but the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. For all ages to come. And then he goes on to talk more about the meaning of the beast. And then verse 21, he says, I kept looking and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Everybody say boo. Until. Everybody say until. The ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. I, I, I want to just read you this part. I kept looking and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came. 
and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. This is really interesting because look at, remember the vision? He said, I looked in the vision. I was one like the son of man was coming. He doesn't say the son of God. He says the son of man. Verse 14, he says, and to them was given to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that that the, <clears throat> that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominions and everlasting dominions kingdom is one which will not pass away. And so this is the vision he sees. And when the angel interprets the vision of the son of man coming to the ancient of days and receiving glory, uh, dominion and a kingdom. The angel, instead of saying the son of man received dominion, glory to kingdom, he said the son of man was the saints of the highest one. And so the question is, when do the saints of the highest one receive dominion, glory and a kingdom? And down in verse 21, it says that they receive it when the ancient of days comes and judgment is passed in favor of the uh, of the saints. I'm sorry, saints of the highest one. And the time arrives for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. And let me just read you a few more verses. Um, Verse 24, he talks about the horns that are waging war, which are kings. Verse 25, how they'll speak out against the highest one. Verse 26, but the court will sit for judgment. His dominion will be taken away. Listen to this. His dominion will be taken away and annihilated and destroyed forever. Um, The verse we didn't read, it says, uh, the previous verse said, the previous, in fact, in verse 12, he says that there's coming a time when the dominion of the beast will be taken away, but his life will be extended. Here he's telling us that the dominion of the horn will be taken away annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. Um, two things I, I want to ask and, and bring to light. One is when it says, it says until the ancient of days took his seat, and and the saints and and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom all this happens when the saints take possession of the kingdom my question is when do the saints take possession of the kingdom because when the saints take possession of the kingdom they get dominion glory and a kingdom dominion glory and a kingdom and I, I, I'd like to propose to you that when Jesus died on the cross, the judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. And that the horn that was waging war with the saints and was overpowering him, remember, dominion was taken away from him, but, it, uh, but his life was extended. Remember that when Jesus died on the cross, in Colossians 1 says, that, that Jesus publicly displayed the enemy as disempowered? He didn't kill the devil. He left him alive for a season before he throws him into the lake of fire. Why? Because you are part of his judgment. <laughs> you get to tread on him before God throws him into the lake of fire. God left him alive but took away his authority. Remember Matthew 28? What does he said? All authority has been given to me. This is after the resurrection. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, therefore, because I have all authority, 
Make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I taught you. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the horn was waging war with the saints, but the Lord took away his dominion. What does it say? It says that the Lord took away his dominion. It says the Lord suffered judgment and dominion was taken away from him, annihilated and destroyed forever. His dominion was taken away forever, but his life was extended. Why? Because you were given dominion over all the power of the enemy. Like you have power over the enemy and to you has been given dominion, glory and a kingdom. Like the goal is that for all the kingdoms under the whole heaven to be led by you. That was Genesis 1. That was the original divine design. Was that you were put on the planet, that you would cultivate the planet, that you would be the caregiver of the earth, and that you would rule and reign. That has never changed. When Jesus died on the cross, I would, I would, I'd like to propose that he reinstated the, the original mandate for mankind, for the sons and daughters of God, that we would rule and reign. With God. And so in, um, in Matthew chapter 16, it says, remember, this passage in, in Daniel 7 says that the horn was waging war with the saints until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. How many of you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he said he went everywhere and he said, go everywhere and proclaim the kingdom has come near you. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and say the kingdom's come near you. And I, I, I've got tons of verses, but like Luke twelve thirty two says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. How about this one? Hebrews chapter, six, uh, chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we received a kingdom... How many, how many can say received? Since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. How many of you understand that you've already received the kingdom? Yes, you're going to heaven. But how many of you understand that your ministry right now is, your destiny is you're going to heaven, but your ministry is bringing heaven to earth. And that the time has already arrived for the saints to receive a kingdom. It was the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And not only have you received the kingdom, you received glory and dominion. Remember Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I want to give to them that they might be one. So not only have you received dominion, but you receive glory. And not only have you received the kingdom, but you've received glory and dominion. Remember Jesus said that he's put all the serpents and scorpions under your feet, that you're to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What's my point? It's it's really important that you believe that you have a future and that you have a hope. And that and that your children's children's children are benefiting from what you're doing today. That you have a hundred year vision. Listen, if you're going to change the nations, you have to have a sense that this place may be here a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, three hundred years from now. What if it isn't? Well, if it isn't, you're going to do a listen. If you, if you work at a job and you believe you're going to be there forever, how many of you know you're going to do a lot better job than if you think that you're going to be gone in a week? You might, something might happen and the company closes down and you're gone in a week. But if you think you're going to be gone in a week, how many of you know you're not going to do as good a job as if you think you're going to retire here 25 years from now? 
I'm saying it affects the way you work. Like, if I believe I'm going to be here for a thousand years, my kids, my children's children, and I'm building for the future, how many of you understand it's going to change the whole way I approach life? What if I, what if Jesus comes tomorrow? I've done a ton better job when I'm working for a thousand years than when I'm working for a day. I grew up in the Jesus movement. I know what it's like to believe that you're going to be gone any second. I didn't go to college because of that. You know, I, I, my, I, I, yeah, that's, that's the truth. I'm not joking. The young people think it's funny, but it is the truth. Like, I was taught, like, that's a waste of time. Jesus is going to come back any day now. And then, you know, the late great planet Earth, they keep revising when. I thought I could have been through college by now. So if we're going to change nations, we have to actually believe there's a tomorrow. And I'd like to propose to you that what you believe about tomorrow has everything to do with how you live today. And so when you see the economy bad, you're just like, it's not a sign of the times. It's a sign of your attitude. You can make a difference. Well, I voted for the right guy and he didn't do anything. Well, how about you? Why does it have to do with another guy? How about what's, what's wrong with you? Why don't you change a nation? Like, this is a corporate mandate. It's not like individual, like, like well, you know, I, I'm run for president. Well, run for president, and if you're awesome, we'll vote for you. <laughs> uh, I won't say that. Okay. <laughs> Second thing is, you have to believe that nothing's impossible with God. I have 13 minutes and 16 seconds. I have a timer. I'm not going to preach more than an hour from now on. That's one of my commitments. I hope I can keep it. We have to believe that nothing is impossible with God. So when you look around and, the, and things are terrible, something wrong in your family, something's wrong in the economy, something's bad someplace, you have to think through this lens. I don't care what it is, God can fix it. Let me, I want to put this differently. I don't care what it is, God's about to fix it. Because the idea that God can, I don't know if that moves me. The idea that God will, that moves me. And, you know, a few verses. This is such a simple message. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, Because of your littleness of faith, for truly I say to you, if you had a faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. And nothing would be impossible to you. How many of you know it doesn't take a lot of faith? Mustard seed, not very big. I have a big problem. You just need a little faith. You don't, you, know, you don't need the faith of Reinhard Bonnke. You just need your faith. You just need to activate your faith. You just need to say, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand this. But I know all things work together for good. And for those who love God, I love God. And this is the thing. All things work together for good. It's a bad thing, but it's a thing. You didn't say all good things work together for good. You said all things. And so this is a thing. And I love God, and therefore this is going to work out for good. And I began to, I began to speak to the mountains of my life. In uh, Luke 18, uh, 27, it's the angel's response to Mary. But, it, uh, oh, no, it's not. Anyway, Luke 1, 37 is, For nothing shall be impossible with God. I'm like, wow, Mary was pretty old by then. <laughs> Technology is not working for me. Luke 18:27 but he said the things that are impossible Jesus said with 
Yeah, that would be Jesus. So this would be after he was born. This is a this is a good night by faith. Luke eighteen twenty seven. But Jesus said, "The things that are impossible with people are possible with God." And the angel said to Mary, "Nothing shall be impossible with God." And so, just simply put, you have to believe that there's going to be a future. Secondly, you have to believe nothing's impossible with God. Thirdly, you have to believe that you've been given the supernatural power to change the future. That you actually have supernatural power that transcends the natural world to change the future. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you all, and the love for all the saints, did not cease giving thanks for you while mentioning you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what the hope of His calling is, what are the riches of His glory, of His his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. How many of you know we're called believers, not factors? You're, (laughs) You're not a factor, you're a believer. The truth overrides the fact. When you believe, you change the fact. You know, what's amazing, you know, how many of you know God can't lie? And one of the reasons why God can't lie is because He has incredible character, right? The other reason is, as soon as God speaks, whatever wasn't true, it is now. Because God, when God talks, He creates. If God said there's no gravity out there, you'd be floating. That's true, actually. What is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working and the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, in every name that's named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, and He gave Him as head over all things to the church. That is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. How many of you understand that you're the church? He took every name that's ever been named, every principality, every power, and He put it under your feet. And so you're over the circumstances. You're not under the circumstances. When you look out and things are bad, don't, don't you know, regurgitate the circumstances. Think about the fact that you have power over darkness. He said, arise and shine. In the midst of darkness, the darkness that covers the earth. He said, arise and shine. He didn't say, it's dark, it's time to sleep. He said, it's time to arise. And so, when, you, when your circumstances are bad, that's the time for you to arise. That's the time for you to shine. The last thing is, it's the redemptive nature of God to rescue the world from its own devices and save the world from the fruit of sin, which is death. And this is just Romans 5.18, where Paul writes, So then as through one man's transgression resulted in condemnation to all men, even so one act of righteousness resulted in justification of life to all men. For for through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so even so through one one act of obedience many were made righteous. The the law, 
The law came in that the trans- that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace reigned through righteousness to eternal life in Jesus Christ. How many know that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more? And so whenever we see, whenever we see immorality, we, we have reason to believe that God can do the most amazing stuff where the greatest sin is. In other words, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So the more sin we see in a city, in a nation, in a neighborhood, in those places creates great hope that God would do great things in those dark places. I love the story in, uh, I think it's in the book of Luke, where the prostitute comes in and she's washing Jesus' feet. And Simon, the Pharisee, who's just invited Jesus to dinner, is having this you know, extravagant dinner with Jesus' you know, 12 disciples. And this prostitute walks in and, and she's weeping and she, she you know, washes Jesus' feet with her tears and she breaks an alabaster vial and pours oil over his head. And, you know, and Simon, the, the, the Pharisee, you know, who's trying to make a connection with God because most of the Pharisees don't really like Jesus. This guy's having him over for dinner. He thinks in his heart, he doesn't say it, he thinks if this man was a prophet, this man Jesus, he would know that this woman's a prostitute. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Simon, I have something to ask you. He says, yes, teacher. He said, Simon, one man owed million dollars and another 50,000 and the master forgave them both which one do you think will love more and he said well I suppose the one who owed the most and he turns to the prostitute and he said that's right and and he turns to her and he said your your sins are forgiven and then he turns to, he, to Simon and he says those who are forgiven little love little, but those who are forgiven much love much. And I'm, I'm always mindful of the fact that the greatest revivals can happen in the deepest, darkest places of the planet because those people are forgiven much and they love much. It's amazing what happens when you, when you're for, when you understand the depth of your sin. I think that understanding the depth of your sin helps you to understand the depth of His forgiveness and the death of His love for you. And so I just want to say that we're, we're not called to be, to be uh, thermometers. We're called to be thermostats. We're not called to be weathermen. We're called to be world changers. We're not called to, to talk about how bad things are getting. We're called to make a difference and change things. And so I, I, just, I just want to inspire you tonight. Like, you know, everywhere I go, people are talking about the recession this and the, the president that and th- this country's doing this bad and that's happening in Iran and, you know, Iraq and Israel and this thing and that thing. And, and I, I'm like, wow, where's God in all of this? Like, what does God think about this? Because God is the X factor and nothing's impossible with God. And I was sitting with an economist not too long ago. This is really... Uh, pretty recently, and he was, he, he was talking about the national, American national debt was like, it's like 15 trillion. He's like, you know how much a trillion dollars is, you know? And, and I'm thinking like, I don't know how much a trillion dollars is, but I know that, that God has a lot of money. 
Like, I've never met a trillionaire besides God, but he, he has a lot of money. And he was telling me, you know, this is how long it's going to take to pay this debt off if we turned it around right now. He's going on and on. And, and I, I was just thinking about, I mean, what, what happened to me is I started getting really discouraged. And I started thinking about, man, things are really getting bad and the whole world's going to hell. And, and you, know, he, and, you know, he's a very intelligent person. And he's, you know, telling me about all these statistics. And, and I'm just getting more and more discouraged. In the midst of that, I just started thinking, well, what does God think? That's what this man thinks. What does God think? Does God think things are terrible? Is God depressed? Is God like, oh, Lord, what have they done now? Am I going to have to go down there and, you know, die on the, you know, on Wall Street? Or... And I, I just had this thought that, you know, that it's just really simple message, really. We, we need to have hope. We need to have hope. Hope is not based on how the economy is doing. It's not based on who's in political office. It's not based on your wallet or your job. Hope is based, is rooted in Jesus who can do anything and who's given you power and all authority and dominion and glory. And I think that instead of talking to mohills and making them mountains, that we should talk to mountains and tell them to go into the sea. And I, 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 I believe that I, I, there, there is such a, uh, a deep sense of, uh, of hopelessness over the nations everywhere I go. When you get outside of our circle, honestly, people are pretty stressed out. Even people who are doing well in business talk about that there's that the end is near, like the economy is about to crash, and they're trying to figure out how to put money in their mattresses and crazy stuff. And I'm like, I, I, didn't, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to the economy, but I know this that that we were born to be believers. And I'm not a believer in the economy; I'm a believer in Jesus, and that my faith moves economies. My faith changes mindsets and that when I sit down with you or I sit down with presidents I'm looking for gold and I'm looking for reasons for them to trust God and they that trust in the Lord will not be disappointed and so would you stand please I want you to do this. I want you just to close your eyes right now. And I want you to think of the hardest circumstances in your life. <laughs> it's going to get pretty dark in here. It'll just be for a minute. It'll just be for a second. Don't panic. I want you to think of the toughest thing you're going through right now. It may not be you personally. It may be somebody that you're really concerned about. It, it may be your, your city, your nation, your whatever... But I want you to think about it just for a second. I, I, I want you just to picture it for a second. 
I want you to picture it. There's not a person in here that doesn't, doesn't have a challenge, a mountain. Now, what I want you to do is, I want you now ask Holy Spirit, how do you see this? How do you see this situation? How do you see this situation? It, it might be a problem with your, your daughter, your, your son, your, your, your spouse. A relational problem. It might be a financial problem. We talked a little bit about finances tonight. It might be a health issue. Maybe you have something going on in your body or some, a body of somebody that is very uh, close to you and you're really concerned. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? Such a simple message. Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I, I don't know if you can feel it, but there's a little bit of a war going on. The first image probably, for some of you, came way too easy. And this, this, this picture that the Holy Spirit's given you is, is fighting to emerge. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would anoint the minds of the people in this room. That we would have the mind of Christ. Just, just stay here for a moment. We, we're going we're gonna to be done in, in a few minutes. But I want us to just stay here for a moment. I want you just to imagine that issue that you're concerned about, I want you to imagine it the way the Holy Spirit tells you it is. Not the way you see it with your eyes, but the way that you see it with the eyes of your heart. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The Lord. When you see that problem, or when you have a sense of that, what the Holy Spirit thinks about that problem, I want you to keep your eyes closed, but I want you to raise your hand. You see the problem, and now you have a sense of what Holy Spirit thinks about it. Would you just raise your hand, please? And just leave it up for a minute. You see the problem. You're not, you're not in denial but you see the way the Holy Spirit sees it. Would you raise your hand? Okay, now what I want you to do is really simple. I want you to speak to that problem. I want you to speak to the problem what the Holy Spirit told you. So if, let's just say, for instance, you're concerned because your your daughter or your son... Um, you know, is in a bad situation. Whatever the Holy Spirit told you, I want you to say to, you know, let's say his name's John. John, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you're a lover of God. That you're, that you're working on your testimony and you're going to come through this and God says you're going to be a man of God. Whatever it is that God puts on your, your heart, whatever he showed you, the way he showed you, I want you right now to speak to that mountain right now. I want you to speak to that problem. I want you to do it out loud. Just 
you know, not loud enough for your neighbor really to hear, but I want you to speak to it. I don't, I don't want you to speak about it. I want you to speak to it. I want you to speak to it right now. And I don't want you to pray about it. I want you to speak to it. Do you understand the difference? I don't want you to pray about it. I, you know, pray about it, yes, but not right now. Right now I want you to speak to it. If it's a financial problem, I want you to speak what the Holy Spirit told you. Not what you dreamed up. Not, not a good idea. I want you to speak what the Holy Spirit told you about that problem. Do that right now. i give you a minute or two. Speak to it right now, out loud. Now, I don't know what you think is happening, but things are shifting in those circumstances right now. Things are shifting in those circumstances that you are, are, that you are making Holy Spirit declarations over. That, those circumstances are changing. Some, some of you are like, it's a job. Like, you're, you're, like, you don't have a job, and Holy Spirit showed you. I, I just have all these things going through my mind. And you just started saying, you know what, tomorrow there's going to be a job, and it's going to be a job I've always wanted. And you're speaking into that circumstance. And I'm telling you, things are opening up for you right now. It may feel like empty words. It's like not. Holy Spirit is beginning to impregnate the atmosphere with His will, with the, with, with the, the seed of God. Lord, we just release that over people right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you need a miracle in your life? Like, would you just raise your hand? Not necessarily in your body, but you... you when I say miracle, I mean a bona fide, like, if God doesn't come through, whatever. We're going to lose our house. If God doesn't come through, we're going to die. If God doesn't come through. Something, something you know, pretty... Pretty heavy duty is going to happen in a negative sense if God doesn't come through. Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand, please? Okay, put, the, put your hand on the person next to you that has their hand up right now. And now we're going to join our faith with theirs. We're going to join our faith with theirs. We're going to exponentially create an atmosphere of miraculous breakthrough in their lives right now. One will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. We just release that. Just begin to speak over them right now. That this mountain, this situation is going to be changed. Speak speak to them right now. Out loud. This situation's gonna be changed. This mountain's gonna be removed. This condition is gonna be transformed. This sickness is gonna be gone. This finances are gonna be released. This job is gonna open up. This, whatever it is, this court case is going to end right now. We release that over people. Maybe it'd be good for those of you that are being prayed for, just say it's relational or it's financial or it's physical. Would you just, would you just give them like one sentence or one word what, they're, what it is they're 
proclaim. You don't have to give them details, but just just tell them it's relational, it's physical, it's financial, it's it's about a job, whatever it is. Just so that they could pray with understanding too. They can speak into it with understanding. the word shift. Well, I release a shift in your life right now. A shift. I release a shift in the circumstance. I release a shift right now. A dynamic shift, a turnaround, a revolution, a 180 degree shift in the name of Jesus. Lord, we release that right now in the name of Jesus. We break the power the powers of darkness that are trying to insist on a bad outcome. In Jesus' name, we release the prosperity of God. We release the all things of God work together for good. We release that over them. We release nothing shall be impossible with God. We release, you'll speak to the mountains, they'll be removed. We release that over you right now in Jesus' name. We release mustard seed faith to the people that are, being, that are being ministered to right now. Mustard seed faith. Lord, we release that to them right now in Jesus' name. There would just be a sense of courage. There would be a sense that, that, that's, that something good is about to happen. There's a new report coming. There's, a, there's an arising in the midst of my darkness. God is with me. God's with me in the midst of the tunnel. Not at the end of the tunnel. God isn't the light at the end of the tunnel. He's the light in the tunnel. He loves tunnels. Lord, we release that to people right now that feel lonely, that feel alone, that feel discouraged, that feel depressed. Lord, we release our courage. We say, be, be courageous, be strong. Let the weak say, I am strong in the Lord. Strengthen the knees that those that are feeble. Lord, we just strengthen right now people who feel weak, they feel broken, they feel fragile. Lord, I break the power of fragile right now. Whew. There's a whole spirit of fragile. If you feel fragile, would you raise your hand? I don't know what this means, but you feel fragile. Raise your hand right now. No, right now. Raise your hand. If you feel fragile, raise your hand right now. Lord, I, I break the power of fragile right now. I'm telling, listen, I know fragile is a, 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 you know, isn't necessarily a spirit, but I believe that there's a spirit of fragile, like weakness that is actually an evil spirit. And Lord, I just break it off of every person in this room and people who are watching my iBethel TV. I cancel the fact that you're fragile. You are not fragile. You're a child of God. And when you're weak, He is strong, which makes you strong all the time because He's always with you. Lord, I just pray right now for strength to come into people who feel fragile. Strength in their emotions. Strength in their minds. Strength in their spirit. Strength in their bodies. Lord, I just release that right now. Strength. Strength, grace, grace to you in Jesus' name. Shush. We release that over you right now. There's spirit of confusion. If you feel uh, disoriented or confused, would you raise your hand? The rest of you put your hand out. You feel disoriented or confused. And I mean, it's like it's been a, um, I saw the swirling thing. It's like a, 
It'd be like a tornado, but I saw it in the, in, in the spirit realm. If you feel disoriented or confused, like it, can, it happens continually over the last six or eight weeks, would you raise your hand? Lord, I just pray right now for the... I saw a compass spinning. I, I pray right now that, that you would release due north to them, that you would cause them to have a direction, that, that, that disorientation, that, that spinning thing, that, that, uh, dis, uh, that, thing, would be, that thing would stop, that uh, even has to do with um, um, your equilibrium. It's some of you are having in your equilibrium even... Uh, who has a uh, struggle with their equilibrium? I'm sorry, this is all feels so disjointed. If you have a problem with your equilibrium, would you raise your hand too? Somehow this is the same spirit. I just think it's manifest physically in some people. Lord, I just release healing for equilibrium. We break off the spirit of being disoriented, being uh, having uh, your equilibrium be off. Lord, we just pray for um, we pray for balance. We pray for trying to articulate what I see. We, we pray for direction. We pray for a sense of belonging. We pray for a sense of... Now, um, yeah, we pray for traction. We break the power of confusion. Um, Lord, we just... And we release right now peace. Peace. We release peace. We release peace over people right now in Jesus' name. We release peace. There was a man right there. I think you might be sitting. There was a man with a tie right there. Would you? Um, is there somebody there? Yeah. Uh, yes, you have a tie on. Um, what would be your first name? I'm sorry. Whitaker. Um, yeah, you're the first one I saw the word shift on. And I, I uh, does he speak English? Does he speak English? I'm sorry. He's German? Is there, is there someone who speaks German who's translating for him? Okay, great. You're translating for him? Okay, so... Got it? Good? Just get right next to him and, um, and kind of look at me so I can tell where you're at and translating. Good. Good. I, I see the word shift written over you. And I believe that this is a great time of transition. And that what you, what you thought was um, a bad season is actually um, God is using for good in your life. And God's um, turning around the circumstances. And by the time you get home, in fact, you're going to get a phone call before you get home that the circumstances that you're concerned about have already shifted. And I saw you laying down like you were, um, like uh, people were waiting for you to die. And this light started shining uh, on you. Uh, and um, that 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 light was uh, that light um, breathed life in you, and it breathed life in the people around you, and it gave you favor. And your brothers, like the days of Joseph, your brothers who didn't like you are suddenly going to like you. Because the favor of God is on you. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Which is, is common to me. But your brothers who didn't like you 
um, th- those are the those brothers are going to love you. You're 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 bringing a, like a um, favor and deliverance to them. And it's like uh, when Isaac redug the wells of his father that he dug two wells and the first one was called something like contention. The second was called something like strife. But the third well he dug was like an artesian well and the world came to that well. You're translating, right? The world came to that well. Sorry, that's why I'm pausing. The world came to that well, and I believe that you're on the third well. Like you've dug two wells, and it it was strife and contention. Like strife and contention came from the first two wells that you dug. And it, it has to do with relationship and broken relationship and betrayal. And the Lord says, but you're in the midst of digging the third well, and you're going to finish that well while you're here. And by the time you get home, they're going to say, oh, we love you. You're going to say, I thought you didn't like me. And they're going to say, now we see that God is with you. And so we release the favor of God over you in the name of Jesus. Is there a a girl here named Hannah? Somebody named Hannah? Hannah. Is there somebody named Hannah here? Are you in the stands? I'm sorry. Why don't you just sit for a minute? We're going to change directions and let one of the guys lead in just a minute. One of you guys want to be thinking about what we should be doing in a minute. (laughs) Someone named Hannah, would you stand up? Your name's Hannah. I don't think it's any of you guys because you're males and I think it's a girl. Is your name Hannah right there? Are you Hannah? Would you raise your hand if you're Hannah? Okay. Is there more than one Hannah in here? Oh, there's two Hannahs? Okay. I don't know where the other one is. You, your name Hannah too? There's three Hannahs. Awesome. This is a good word for all three of you. Why don't you just come right here and let me... I, the, I, do you guys all speak English at all? Prophesying through a translator that's a long ways away. Is your name Hannah? Oh, that's awesome. Because uh, I saw a blue, um, huh, how do you say, uh, like a cloud. You don't want to say aura. But I saw this blue cloud over you, and it was, a, it was a cloud of revelation. And I saw you writing, 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 writing. You're writing, 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 and you're singing, singing, singing. You're writing, writing, writing. And the Lord's giving you this revelation. You're singing revelation over the nations. And I saw you in this chapel and you were on your knees and the Lord was giving you songs and they were songs of deliverance. They were songs of reformation. They were songs that changed the economy. They were songs that changed the the mindsets of people. How how many Hannahs are there? (laughs) It's a middle name, right? And I saw a sword in your right hand. There's a sword in your hand. And a sword. There's a sword in your hand, and it's a, it's the sword of Gideon. It's the sword of the Lord. It's the sword of Gideon. It's a, it's a, it, it has to do with um, it has to do with cutting through dark places and uh, and bringing courage. Um, there's a courageous spirit on you, and it's um, it's uh, on the sword. It says it says uh, it says courage and truth. And I, I release over you. Um, uh, Isaiah 62, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, remove the stones, cast up a highway, and declare to the daughter of Zion, here comes your salvation. You are, uh, there's something about breakthrough anointing that's on your life 
that you're leading people who have given up, who have, uh, who have, uh, who, they're, they're all, they're all defected, they all left. And the Lord says, go through the gates and remove the stones and tell the daughter of Zion, it's time for your salvation to come. And, um, yeah, you put your hand on your stomach, Hannah, and, um, th- you're pregnant. You're pregnant with a revival that's coming forth from your innermost being. And um, I, I see that you're like um, the woman at the well, not in the immoral way, but in that you're going back to your city and you're telling all the people all the good things that God has done for you. And I see you leading a revival. It's, it's, a, it's a national revival. The Lord's uh, elevating you. I saw you first floor, second floor. Right now you're at ground floor, but the Lord's putting you in an elevator. He's elevating you for... And your vision's too small. Like the Lord says, your vision's too small right now. That's why you worry, because you're thinking too small. But the Lord wants to elevate you, put you in an elevator, Holy Spirit elevator, and a river flowing from your, your uh, innermost being. And um, your, um, your names, you're all, you're Hannah too? Are people changing their names? Um, mm, um, uh, I, I see um, the word reconciliation written over you. I see you like a counselor who takes people, who, like the Jews and Gentiles, like blacks and whites, like, like nations like, that don't get along, Arabs and Jewish people, people that like, don't historically get along, not just, not, just, uh, not just individuals, but there's a spirit of reconciliation on you that you're reconciling, breaking down walls between people and creating bridges between people and there's wisdom in you and you understand the root issues, even though people go, this is the problem I have. You look deep and, and you understand the, the depth of the, uh, of the root issues and God's given you a, a surgeon's uh, skill for, um, for restoring uh, uh, wholeness in, in people. And, um, and like if you were working with plants, you'd be like a horticulturist. Like you understand what it takes to make things grow, especially relationships. And um, you, are, you come here. Let me touch your hands. And the Lord says a healing mantle is being released over you. In the name of Jesus, I just release this healing mantle, which I do not carry, but I release it as a prophetic man in Jesus' name. Lord, I just release it over her. That, that people who went before her, like Catherine Coleman, Amy Simple McPherson, John G. Lake, that she would carry that same anointing, that same mantle for, for healing and for miracles, the double anointing, that she'd be ambidextrous in the Spirit for miracles and for healing. In Jesus' name, You're am, you are ambidextrous? Well, now you are in the Spirit, too. Awesome. And you come here right now. Lord, I just thank you. For this mind that you've given this woman, Lord, I bless this mind. <laughs> this mind is under the influence of Jesus. Are you like a flower child? Lord, we release... <laughs> Lord, we, we release... Uh, I see colors and, and textures, and I release art over you. In Jesus' name, give me your hands. I'll give you all the art I have. This won't take long. Lord, I just bless this woman with artistic ability. In Jesus' name. I can't say, as I have, I give to you, but I can say, as he has, he gives to you through me. In Jesus' name, yeah, you would be awesome at drawing stick figures if I... But Lord, I just release texture, color, art, a pottery, um, sculpturing. Lord, I just release that over her in the name of Jesus. And that as she works with her hands, 
she would feel the pleasure of God and the anointing of God would come on her and she would speak with her hands. She would speak the words of God with her hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before anybody else multiplies. What? There's another one? Who did I miss? In the, in the blue? I got her first. Yep. Blue cloud, not an aura. Blue cloud. So, Lord, we bless these, these in the name of Jesus. Just put your hands towards these beautiful ladies. Lord, we just bless them right now. And, Lord, <laughs> whatever, Lord, just get them. And you can say, be on to me according to these words. You didn't say it. <laughs> say, be on to me according to these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys are done. Is there anybody with the last name Smith? No, forget it. I'm joking. Now, one of you guys want to come and do something? You want me to do it all? <laughs> I'm on overtime, man. My, my clock went off. I'm, I'm going to prophesy over a couple more people if I'm going to do that one. Mm, um, you're right there. You're in a, is that a giant's hat right there? Did the Giants win tonight? They won. Awesome. All right. That's a good night. Would you stand, please? What's your name, sir? Huh? Darren. Darren? Yeah, I saw. Uh, the, you're a bridge over troubled water. You're a bridge over troubled water, and you meet people in, like, you're like a, a Holy Spirit paramedic. And you meet people in crisis. And, uh, and, you, and the Lord's given you a sound wisdom and understanding for people in crisis. And you help them through their crisis, and you help them in times of crisis, and you show up just as they're about to die. You have these paddles, Holy Spirit paddles. You uh, uh, awaken the dead. You uh, awaken the sleeping. You, you, uh, you're, you bring hope to people in the middle of really bad circumstances. And, um, and the Lord, um, I'm right about this. No, I am. You can ask Bill. I'm right about this. And you can ask the Lord too. But the the Lord is uh, in in enhancing your hearing, and He's causing you to be a dreamer of dreams. And Lord, I just release this Joseph dreamer of dreams. That like Joseph, he dreamt that he was going to be amazing. And, and then he would, not only could he understand his dreams, but he could understand the dreams of others. And Lord, I pray that this man would be a dreamer of dreams and acts too that he would dream dreams that no one's ever dreamt before. Lord, I pray right now that you would give him faith to dream big dreams. Big dreams, Father. I just release that over him in Jesus' name. I released that over him in Jesus' name. I see you playing drums. I see you playing drums, and it's like you're marching to the beat of a different drum. Oh, Lord, I just pray right now for the rhythm of heaven to begin to vibrate through this amazing young man. I release that over him right now, that he's favored God. You're favored of God.
you are favored with God. The favor of God is on you. 